I would like to read two passages as we uh, consider the fifth commandment today. And so we will read the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments, just one verse, and then a few words from Ephesians and the New Testament. As soon as I find it here, Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That fifth commandment, words a little longer in Deuteronomy, a few more details uh, than it does in Exodus. And then... Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter of this epistle of St. Paul's, the first four verses only, essentially the same scripture that we just read from Deuteronomy. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. And uh, from myself, good morning. Good to be with you here at uh, Fifth Church. And for those that are joining us at home, wherever you might be, a warm welcome to you as well. Uh, as uh, Pastor John said, I'm Tom Hendricks, a member of this church, uh, and uh, contributing uh, with some others in this Ten Commandments series. I'm also a retired uh, Reformed Church in America minister, the denominational affiliation of this church. So, my wife and I are visiting our daughter and son-in-law and two granddaughters in the Denver, Colorado area where they live. And uh, this particular visit was about three years ago. And our daughter and son-in-law are out on a date for dinner. And we are in their home watching our two granddaughters. At the time, five and three years of age. And we are sitting at the dinner table, and as dinners can happen with three- and five-year-olds, we are wrapping it up. And Barb, my wife, many of you know her, uh, decides that we are going to have devotions. And so she dispatches the five-year-old across the living room to a bookcase to retrieve a children's Bible story book. And Barb decides to read a story out of that book about Old Testament Abraham. She's about halfway through the story, and by this time, the name Abraham has crossed my wife's, my wife's lips about three or four times in the reading. When our youngest 
three years of age, loudly interrupts, Abraham, I know Abraham. And she makes her way out of her child's seat and disappears into, into her parents' bedroom. Comes back a few seconds later, proudly holding in her arm a small framed sketch of Abraham. Lincoln. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. I'm old, and those of you who share my generation will remember that Johnny Carson used to say of a true funny story, you can't make this stuff up. As we progress in this Ten Commandments series, we come today to the fifth word. This commandment elevates the importance of family and all legitimate authority in our lives. Pastor John has commended to those of us who are sharing in this series, uh, Jen Wilkins' book, Ten Words to Live By, and I'm using that as well as other resources, and of course the most important resource, God's revelation in the Bible, a cut above all of those other ones. My granddaughter's mistaken identity is precious, and I'm in her debt for a wonderful story. And when she's old enough, I will probably tell her that she helped me out with one of my sermons. <laughs> Let me transition us, however, from the innocence of getting our Abrahams confused to the rather serious mistake of getting our moral codes confused. Far more serious is our world's losing its grip on absolutes and absolute standards. The Ten Commandments are the Old Testament Jewish contribution to those absolutes. They did not author the ten words, God did, but the Hebrews were the original recipients of these words, certainly not the only ones. We benefit and are blessed by them today as well. We live, don't we, in a moral universe. Christians affirm this. God created natural law into the fabric of the universe right along with what science would later identify as the laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics, and other constants. We might say, try this on for size, that God programmed natural law algorithms into the fabric of his created universe. Now, that's not universally agreed to by the humans that populate this planet, far from it. Christians believe this, and others of faith believe it. These natural laws stand behind the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. 
every one of the commandments grows out of the stuff of reality and is its fine-tuning in various aspects of our lives, depending on which commandment we're talking about. And we're in the fifth today. Our world today wants a relativism where it can write its own moral code and um, subject to change, of course, as, as it sees fit. But that's not the creation that our triune God made. And living as though such relativism described a real state of affairs when it does not gets humans into all kinds of problems. And they seem to multiply as time goes on and as the centuries roll along. In book two, chapter eight of his Institutes, John Kelvin, the patron saint of our reformed family of churches, says this. He publishes about 1559 A.D. He says this about the Ten Commandments. Seems to affirm the existence of natural law created into the fabric of the world. Calvin says, accordingly, because it is necessary both for our dullness and our arrogance, <laughs> the Lord has provided us with a written law to give us a clearer witness of what was too obscure in the natural law to shake off our listlessness and to strike more vigorously our mind and memory. Well, we have to take that fairly seriously, considering the author, John Kelvin. Well, these are some general comments that I would make about God's absolutes and the Ten Commandments, which are a reflection of those absolutes. But let's look at the fifth. It's my privilege today to kick off the second table of the law. I'm using the Deuteronomy 5 version because it, because it says more. In Deuteronomy 5, I discovered commandments 4 and 5, and we're looking at 5 today, say as part of the text, as the Lord your God has commanded you, quote unquote. Which I noticed because it doesn't say that in Deuteronomy for the other eight. And it does not say that in Exodus 20 for any of the ten. Now, of course, all ten words are rightly commands of God, and we assume correctly that that's what they are, without exception. As Pastor Sam said, I think it was two weeks ago, when he spoke on this series, these are more than just laws. They are that, but they are moral aids to help us, all ten, in our walk with God and our walk with our fellow human beings. So Deuteronomy 5.16 says, in the longer version of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you 
so that it, you may live long on the earth and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is to respect our parents, certainly. First of all, we're to honor them, whether they're biological or adoptive parents. And we observe with Calvin that the word honor has a wide meaning in Scripture. To respect them, to honor them, to readily see the good in them, and to obey them. For some reason, as I was putting this message together over the last several weeks, I was thinking of myself more as a son than as a father, even though uh, I am both, or was both, when my parents uh, were living. And so I'm kind of speaking to you from that perspective. It's easy to take lifelong honor. It's easy to take respect for granted and assume that we always do that. Old Testament scholars C.F. Kyle and F. Dalich say, reverence is to be shown to parents with heart, mouth, and hand in thought, word, and deed. I had to read that twice in, in their, that commentary because they're very grammatical and very technical and I didn't think they'd have something quite so proverbial, but there it was in that dusty old set of wonderful commentaries on the Old Testament. Most of us were raised, weren't we, by good, loving, caring, albeit imperfect parents. We owe them lifelong honor, both as dependents and as adults in our larger lives. It's easy to take all of this for granted, but we never should. We, we cannot put a price tag on what our parents have done for us. And for those of us who worship God, our parents many times are the ones who had the most to do with that foundational faith early in our lives. That's not always the case, of course. Jen Wilkin observes, a Christian parent trains her child to submit to her visible and temporary authority so that, with the result hopefully being, that one day they might submit to God's invisible and eternal authority. My folks, as I mentioned a second ago, are, are deceased. As I look back, I understand now that I did not always do this. I did not always honor them as I should have. Ideally, ideally, we live in love and obedience with our parents in childhood and in respectful ways throughout our lives or throughout their lives. Whether or not they were always worthy of honor, and they were not always, I have this command to honor them, and so do you.
for yours, with yours. I think we need to touch on something else here before we move on to other implications of the, of the fifth word. And that is flawed parents. Now, <laughs> that's all of us who are parents, of course. There are many ways to get at this, and I ask for you to indulge me in this way this morning. Some of you grew up with significant pain inflicted on you by your parents. Some of you have been negatively affected for life in ways that only you and those closest to you probably understand. Psalm 27.10 says helpfully, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. <laughs> Even if our parents did not share God's honor and reflect it, God can and will fill our needs in other ways. And we can trust that. We can trust that. Scott was my best friend. And we were best men in each other's weddings. Scott and Shelley's was in 1975. So I'm going to have to take you back to dinosaur times. I'm sorry. Um, sometimes I wish I was younger. Sometimes I'm happy with the age I am. It doesn't matter how I feel. Sometimes I am what I am. 1975 was about the year of their, their wedding. In about 1980, uh, Scott called me. I was pastoring in my first charge in the Chicago area at the time, and he and Shelley were living here in Grand Rapids. And um, he asked a favor of me. They had a friend living not too far from us in Illinois, uh, an older lady. It was Christmas time. And would I pick up a fresh fruit basket from a local store and deliver it to her? He gave me her address. I'd never met her. It was all paid for. And would I do that for them? And of course I said I would, and I did. So I'm at her doorstep, gave her the fruit basket, explained my relationship to Scott and Shelley, wished her a Merry Christmas, and with nothing else to do, I turned to leave. But I'm me, so I hesitated and said to this lady, by the way, out of curiosity, how do you know Scott and Shelley? Long silence. And I knew I had made a mistake. Have you ever done that? <laughs> of course you have, in one context or another. At least if you're human. Well, at this point she invites me into her house. It was 
it was Christmas time, closed the front door against the cold, and I'm standing with her in her living room and with her adult son who lived with her, so three of us. And she collects herself and she says, I'm Shelley's mother. Now, I wasn't expecting that. I've known Scott most of my life. And I'd grown to respect Shelley as I, as I knew her, as I met her in the years before they got married and in the years since. Shelley grew up here in Grand Rapids, raised Christian Reformed. Blonde hair, blue eyes. I knew her father and mother. As it turns out, uh, Shelley's father was a traveling salesman, and Shelley was the result of one of his affairs years before. Now, that's not terribly unique. Here's the kicker. The wedding that I was the best man in for Scott, Shelley found out all of this the day before her wedding. Now, she may have had, she may have had inklings about this before, in the years before, things that came up in her child raising, <clears throat> but she learned it formally, and perhaps for the first time, just before her wedding. Now, Scott and Shelley are both deceased. Shelley died in midlife of cancer, and my friend Scott, some years later, of a blood clot that traveled while he was hospitalized. But they had a wonderful marriage while it lasted, and it produced three wonderful children, all of whom I know in their adult years. Shelley was a wonderful Christian wife and mother at their wedding, where I stood up with Scott. What was in Shelley's mind as her father walked her down the aisle? He did raise her, support her, presumably loved her, but she must have been struggling with identity and trust issues. Learning that her siblings were only half-siblings, and that her mother that raised her was not her biological mother after all. In the fifth commandment, God does not say, Honor your father and your mother if they're worthy of honor. It says, honor your father and your mother. And if we keep this fifth word, God will take care of the rest, understanding in some cases the difficult struggle we have in doing so. He is our Heavenly Father, and we honor him who gave us this fifth word. 
But the fifth word goes beyond honoring parents, and before we close, we acknowledge this. Our own Heidelberg Catechism, one of our denomination's four doctrinal standards, speaks to this in number 104. And for reasons of time, I won't quote it, except for this phrase, which I'm also shortening. It says in 104, Father and mother and all set in authority over me. And all set in authority over me. Our Presbyterian Calvinist friends help us with their Westminster documents. And the larger catechism is clearer uh, at this point than the, um, the, I think, better known, shorter catechism. But they agree. And the larger says, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts. I think it'll be up, yeah. All superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. That's quite clear. And then, looking at the scriptures, thinking of what Kyle and Dalich said about the fifth commandment in their treatment of it in Exodus 20, they said, but by father and mother, we are not to understand merely the authors and preservers of our bodily life, parents, but also the powers ordained of God to whom the names of father and mother may justly be applied since all government has grown out of the relation of father and child and draws its moral weight and stability upon which the prosperity and well-being of a nation depends from the reverence of children towards their parents. I shortened that a bit. So, respectful attitudes and actions toward all authority in our lives are enjoined by the fifth word. As Wilkin writes, respect your elders in the broadest sense. Now, in our antinomian distrust the government mindset today, this is a tough sell. The fifth word calls us to honor other outside authority in addition to our parents. We will often disagree with that outside authority. And depending on the issue involved, may even need to take a moral stand against that outside authority. Sometimes, yes, that is true. And the need to sometimes do that certainly resonates with me. I'm a baby boomer. I've got rebellion and distrust in my generational DNA. I mean, that's just, just the way I think. And yet, we need to remember 
that order rather than chaos is God's way. And respecting legitimate authority on earth, in government, and in education, in medicine, whatever it might be, outside of our family structures, respecting legitimate authority on earth tends toward order. With billions of souls on the earth and multiple religions and philosophies existing and with the acknowledgement, by Christians at least, of the existence of sin in our world, God's direction is needed, even if that is not acknowledged by many. And such direction can come, can come by way of earthly government. If it takes us away from our convictions, from the teachings of Scripture, from the Spirit of God as that Spirit makes impressions on our hearts as believers, we must not follow it. But where we have the opportunity to do that for the betterment of ourselves and society, we should follow that outside authority. And it seems as though God gives us the freedom and the flexibility to do it like that. The importance of ordering societies well, actually, is inherent in all six words of the second table of the law. Science could not progress today if it were not for the constants in nature. The predictability of the four forces and other laws. The church teaches, and this is where it differs from a lot of modern science, most actually, that we have got to thank for those constants created into nature. Well, analogously, in the theological moral sphere, there are constants as well. And I suppose if I had a proposition for this sermon, a single nugget, it would be this. There are constants in the theological moral sphere as well. And the Ten Commandments as a whole are one example of that. The world owes far more to God's ten words than it will ever acknowledge. God loves this world. Ultimately, he is ordaining a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, we're told in Second Peter chapter 3. He's ordaining a new heaven and a new earth, made attainable by the reconciling work of Christ on our behalf. We look to the cross for his recreation. There will be a new creation.
here on earth, while we wait, <laughs> he has dropped a few moral absolutes on us for our own good. And like a good earthly parent, God wants us to eat our moral fruits and vegetables. If we do, we will grow well. And one of those nutritious foods is the fifth commandment. In the physical world, we can live without soda. I spent too much time in the East Coast to call it pop anymore. We can live without single malt scotch. But we cannot live without water. We can live, and I know this is hard to imagine, without computers and smartphones if we had to. But we cannot live without communication of some sort between people. And we can live without my words of wisdom. Frankly, we can live without yours. But we cannot live without God's revelation, which he has planted into the very fabric of his creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We're told this in the first chapter of the Bible. Later on, after God peopled this planet that he created, he said, among other things, honor your father and your mother. We can do that with his help. Pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for ordering our lives. And though we have a concept that rules are oppressive, in your creation, that is far from the case. And among other things, the rules and the aids, because they are more than laws, that you have given us bring us joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of heaven, Lord of earth. And we ask that you would help us to gain new respect for your laws, the Ten Commandments being perhaps the best known of them, and for this fifth word, which in your wisdom is the basis for order in our society, the family structure. We thank you for what you have done for us. Amen.